Thanks for taking some time to listen to this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe God will speak to you right where you are. Now, let's take a moment and prepare our hearts to hear this week's message. It was on June uh, 1st of 1813 that Captain James Lawrence of the USS Chesapeake rode out to meet uh, one-on-one against Captain Philip Broke of the HMS uh, Royal British Navy on his HMS Shannon. And so they met in a one-on-one battle, a one-on-one contest out just off of Cape Cod. And the battle lasted, get this, 11 minutes. That was it. It was 11 minutes. And in 11 minutes, 65 men had died on the, the Chesapeake. 81 were injured, including the captain, James Lawrence himself. He took a pistol ball uh, to his leg. And as he's being carried down below the deck to the surgeon during kind of the onslaught and when the the men from the Shannon had boarded on the the Chesapeake and they were fighting, he was carried down into the uh, underneath the deck and he yells these words. First he says, boys, fire faster. Like, let's go. You better fire faster. And then those five words that are famous, and don't give up the ship. Don't give up the ship. And it would become a rally cry that would ignite a movement to take a stand against the British, the Royal British Navy, that people would rally behind that phrase, don't give up the ship. In fact, today it can be heard in the the Naval Academy, kind of through the halls. One uh, naval officer remarks that it it is a rally cry that inspires us to do more, to stand up, don't miss this, for our values of honor of courage and commitment. He said it means to get the mission done without compromise. Come on, doesn't that sound like a a great approach to the relationships in our life, that we are to stand for courage and stand for honor and stand for commitment, to not give up the ship, the relationships that we have. Of course, that phrase is made famous here uh, locally from the Battle of Lake Erie. Uh, when Commodore Perry left uh, his boat that he aptly named the Lawrence after Captain James Lawrence, who was a, a friend of his, he left that boat because it was sinking. It was getting all kinds of beat up. And he got on his little boat and rode it over to the brig Niagara where they, you know, raised the flag, don't give up the ship, and ultimately led to victory over that battle of Lake Erie. Don't give up the ship. For us, here's what it stands for. It stands for the idea and the resolve that there are some things worth fighting for. It stands for uh, the, the idea that there are things worth, worth dying for, that really matter, that there are things worth laying our lives down for, that you and I should not give up the ship, the ship that we have in our lives, these relationships. In fact, turn to your neighbor right now and just tell him, say, don't give up the ship. Go ahead and look at him. Tell him like you mean it too, like you're in a fight, right? Don't give up the ship. I think that's how he said it. Don't give up the ship. Of course, in these next few weeks, we're going to talk specifically about relationships. And it really doesn't matter the context. We're going to talk about marriage relationships, dating relationships, family, parenting, working relationships. We're going to talk about a variety of different relationships. But here's what we're not going to do. I'm not going to come at it from the perspective that I got it all figured out. Can we just admit, right, that no one in this room Uh, has it all figured out. Let's not do the church thing where we put on the face, where we pretend like we have everything kind of of figured out. We don't do that here. 
that we don't have it all figured out. But here's what I know. It doesn't matter where you are on this journey uh, of faith, whether you're, you know, you've been following Jesus for a long time or it's been a long time since you've even thought about your faith. Maybe someone invited you to church today because they said, hey, we're going to talk about relationships. And you're like, I don't even know if I believe in God. But, you know, I think I could use that. And you just kind of showed up for that. It doesn't matter where you are on that journey. Here's what I know about every single person in this room. We all want successful relationships, do we not? Like, we all want relationships that are thriving, that are, that are, that are like, propelling us, that are pushing us to become better. Like, like, we want that. There's something inside every single person here that when we meet that couple that has been married for 50 years, right, something in, in our hearts and our mind goes off and says, man, I want that. I love that they've sticked together that long. I love that they've, they've fought together that long. And there's something inside of us when we see those, those friends that have been, been best friends forever, that, that you know, kind of been through thick and thin together, that have sacrificed for one another, that move with each other, that have families raise each other's kids. There's something inside of us that says, man, I want that kind of relationship. Like we all want successful relationships. Or when we see those parents whose kids have, have actually, you know, grown up and, and moved out of the house, which, which is the goal, by the way, to get them out of the house, just so you know. But they still want to come back and hang out with the parents. Like there's something inside of us that says, man, I want my kids to like me even when they don't have to like me anymore. You know what I'm saying? Because we all want to have successful, great relationships in our life. And in this series, we're going to talk about that. But we're going to come at it from the, the standpoint of the fact that it's a whole lot easier to say we want that than it is to actually live it out, is it not? Like it's a whole lot easier to say we want great relationships because here's the thing. When relationships are working well, man, they can, they can build you, they can support you, they can push you, right? But when they're not, like it's tough, it's challenging. They can be some of the most, um, you know, hurtful things that we have to face in our life as well. So it's a whole lot easier to talk about than it is to live out. And I've discovered that great relationships take three things. They take a lot of time, a lot of work, and a lot of intentionality. Like if you want to have a God-honoring relationship, it's going to take time, work, and it's going to take intentionality. And though it's possible for us to have great God-honoring, life-giving relationships, I've also discovered it's not probable. It's possible, but it's not probable. And I know you're thinking, wow, that sounds super encouraging, Colby. I'm glad I came to church to hear that it's not probable. I say that because I think some of, it, some of us come at it from the perspective of it's just going to happen. I'm just going to have a good relationship. I'm just going to get together, and it's just going to work out. It doesn't just happen. No one stumbles into having great relationships. In fact, I want you to jot this down. Great relationships are not accidental they are intentional. They're intentional. It takes a lot of time, work, and intentionality. You don't wake up one morning and go, wow, I'm a great husband. Like if there's a ranking system for husbands, I got to be in the top 10, right? It doesn't work that way. You don't wake up and say, oh, I'm, I'm killing it as a parent. I'm like the best parent on the planet. You don't say, you know, I, I, everybody should have a friend like me. They would be lucky to have a friend like me. I should be the mayor of Friendville, right? It doesn't work that way. No one stumbles into having great relationships. They are not accidental. They are intentional. And I've learned that sometimes relationships that aren't going so great, 
when things are challenged is because we are living in the wrong circle. What do you mean the wrong circle? There are two circles that, you're, that, you, that you are living in. One is the circle of, of concern, and one is the circle of control. Uh, and, and here's what I mean. A lot of us are trying to control things that we should be concerned about, and we're only concerned with things that we are that we should be controlling. Here's what I mean. Sometimes people will say, um, well, if that other person in the relationship would just blank, fill in the blank, then things would be better. Or if that, you know, if my, my marriage would be a whole lot better, Colby, if, if he did this or if, or if she did that. We're living in the wrong circle. There's a circle of control and there's a circle of concern. Uh, I have young couples that come up to me that are engaged and they'll say things like, man, we're so excited you know, that we're going to get married. You know, everything is awesome. Everything is wonderful. And it's like, you know, that's great. You know, let's talk about the struggles. Oh, there aren't any struggles. Like, like we're perfect. He's perfect. Well, there are a few things that he does that aggravate me. But when we get married, we're going to work that stuff out. Jesus, fix the stupid in them right now, right? Help them, Jesus. Because it doesn't work that way, does it? Like, we all know that, that marriage doesn't, you know, solve issues. It amplifies issues that we have. But we'll approach our relationships from the perspective of, well, if that other person would just, or if that person would just, trying to, to fix, trying to control the other person, when the only thing you and I can control is what? Ourselves. Is the person that we look at every morning in the mirror. So we're living in the wrong circle many times. We're living in the, the circle of, of control, trying to control other things when we should be trying to control ourselves. Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't be concerned uh, with, you know, friends in your life that are making really bad choices, that you shouldn't pray for them and, and counsel them. That is to say, though, you cannot control them. You cannot control what other people are doing, even in your own home as a parent. You can have an illusion of, of control, like you might be able to control your children to a point where they are able to modify their behavior while they are in front of you, but it's just kind of an illusion of control. The only sphere of control is you. And so to start this series, we have to draw a circle around what you can control, and that is you. It starts with you. In fact, this series is about, is about being the best you you can be. I want you to write this down. When you are a, a better me, you will have a better we. That's how it works. When you become the best version of you, you can be, you will have a, a better two. When you are a better me, the result will ultimately be in your relationships, you are a better we. It begins with me, bringing the best me I possibly can. But if you spend all your time and all your energy trying to control someone else, all you're going to end up is frustrated, is tired, because it doesn't work, because you're trying to control something that you can't control when all you can control is you. That's where we have to start. You deal with you. You fix you. You work on, on you so you can become a better you for the two, for the relationship that you're in. Becoming a better me will result in a better we. All right, that's enough Dr. Seuss for the day. So what does this look like? Like if you're going to deal with you, then you have to know who you are. No, I'm not talking about the, uh, well, who am I? I, am, I? I like long walks on the beach. My favorite color is purple. Uh, puppies in people clothes make me laugh, you know. And I'm not talking about the, the Christian mingle profile of you or the farmersonly.com, you know, profile of you, all right. I'm talking about who, who you really are. 
I'm talking about what wakes you up in the morning. I'm talking about what, what causes you to function the way you function, what causes you to, to act the way you do, what, what drives you. Like in order for us to deal with us, right, to, to deal with ourselves, to deal with the you, you got to know who you, you is. Uh, that's not correct grammar, but you know what I'm talking about. You have to know who you are. And so the Bible comes along and says this in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your underline these, highlight these, circle these, whatever you have to do. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ come again. Your spirit, your soul, and your body. So if you're going to control you, you have to know who you are. And according to God's word, you are a spirit, you're a soul, and you're a body. First, let's talk about body. In fact, I want you to write that down. Maybe draw a circle around it. Just let's talk about body. Every single one of us has a body. You, you, might, you might like your body. You might not like your body. You might not like the current shape of your body. I don't know. You have a body, but that's not who you are. You have it, but that's not who you are. Colby, how's this going to help with relationships? I promise you it's all going to connect. You just hang in there with me. You have a body. But the body that you have is not who you are. And your body that you have has been formed by, not created by, God. Formed by, not created by, God. And there's a big difference. In fact, Genesis 1 tells us that, that God created the heavens and the earth, that he spoke the earth into existence. Uh, created is there was nothing before, and now there's something. That there, nothing where something didn't exist, now something exists. That's created. But then in Genesis 2, it says he formed man in his image. And how did he do it? He took the dust of the earth and he formed man. So he took something that already existed, dust, and he created man. So he formed man. You will have a body, but you are a not, not a, a body. That's not who you are. That God created the heavens and the earth, but man was formed. Right? You've been formed. You, you, something was taken that already existed and formed who you are. Um, so this is how it happened. Your dad had some seed. Uh, you, if you have kids, they should probably go to Elevate Kids for this week. I just want to throw that out there. What's seed, Mom? Dad has seed? What does that mean? Uh, we're farmers. We planted some stuff in the backyard. I don't know. Actually, it's not going to get too crazy, so you're okay. Your dad had seed. Your mom had an egg. Right, Two things that existed. And so out of that, you know, God formed you. David said this, that, that, that you were formed, uh, you were knitted together in your mother's womb, that God formed you in your womb. All that to say that you have a body, but you are not a body, right? That's, that's not who you are. The, the nose that you see in the mirror, that's not who you are. The eyes, the ears that you see, that, that's not who you, you are because that part of you is not eternal, Paul calls the, the, the body that we're in, this temporary tent, this temporary dwelling that we have, it's not eternal, it doesn't last, right? That, that when we die, our body is gonna get returned to the earth. That's what they say at the graveside, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, because what you came out of is what you're going to return to. So you have a body, but you are not a body, which by the way, you will get a new body, 
uh, one day is your glorified body. I don't want to get too off track or too far ahead of myself, but one day when you get to heaven, the Bible says you'll get this glorified body for me. It's going to have the same good looks, just a little taller, a little thinner, you know, perhaps. Hard to improve on perfection. Just saying, throw that out there. I'm kidding. For those of you that don't know me, I'm kidding. All right, I'm joking. But you will get a, a new body. But you are not a body. What you are, jot this down, in 1 Thessalonians we see that you are a spirit. So you have a spirit. That is the part of you that is inside of you that God put in you that will last forever. That we all have a spirit man that's living inside of us that the moment you accept Christ, that part of you comes alive. And, and, and then you'll, you'll spend forever, which, by the way, where, where you spend forever is determined by what you do with Jesus. Whether or not you allow Jesus to pay for your sins determines where your ultimate eternal destiny will be. But when you accept Jesus, that spirit part of you comes alive, is made fully alive in your life. Uh, this is what Jesus said in John chapter 3. I encourage you to go back and read the story. Uh, but he's talking with a guy named Nicodemus who is a a, a religious leader of the day, and uh, he asked Jesus, he says, basically, how do I get saved? How do I, how do I you know, get into heaven? How do I experience you know, eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you have to be born again. And he's like, how do I do that? Which is a good question. He's like, how do I get born again? You know, how can an old man, what he says, you know, kind of go back into my mother's womb, which is weird to think about, awkward, painful for your mom probably, just throw that out there. And Jesus says, you're not understanding. You, you were born once of flesh, born once of water, but you also have to be, take a look at it, born of the Spirit. That there's something that's dead inside of you that also has to come alive, be, be born, be made alive in your life. And by the way, that's what we want for everyone in this room. We want you to have that experience where you are made fully alive. Jesus uh, said in John 10.10 that I came to give life, life to the full, meaning that he wants you to be fully alive, that there's a part inside of us that's dead, apart from Christ, that once we accept him, it comes alive. There's nothing that you could do or that I could do that only he could make alive, and so he makes that spirit part of us fully alive that gives us direction for our life, meaning and purpose for our life, that, that sets us free, gets us freedom, to have, but that part of us only comes alive when we decide to follow Jesus. So you have a body, right? But you're not a body. And you have a spirit. That's the part of you that will live forever. But here's the problem. Because in Thessalonians tells us there's another piece, and that is our soul. And that could be translated as our mind, as our will is our emotions, the emotions that we have would fit into this category. And so a lot of the rub in our relationships, and by the way, this is not just for relationships. This is for, this could be for, um, you know, your work. This could be for your life, for, for living, you know, for, for following the example of Christ and doing whatever he's called you to do. This, this could translate a lot of different things. Specifically, we're talking about relationships. But the problem is, is then when your spirit comes alive, it wants to do what God wants to do in your life. But we have this mind. We have this will, this emotions that goes against what God's spirit wants to do in our life. Therefore, it's difficult for it to get lived out in the body, for us to live the life that God has called us to live. There's this battle going on. This is what it looks like in a relationship. There's conflict. 
And if you've been uh, alive for any amount of time, you know that conflict happens in our relationships. And the spirit side of you says, hey, 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 that conflict, you need to forgive that person. Like you need to, you need to forgive them. You need to pray for them. You need to put the offense on the fence. Come on, somebody. Like you need to let it, you need to let that go. But your mind, your soul says, uh-uh. There's no way I'm doing that. What they did to me is unforgivable, right? That's your mind. That's your, your will that doesn't want to forgive, that doesn't want God's spirit to be lived out in your body. So it says, what they did is unforgivable. There's no way, but God's spirit inside of you says, I want you to forgive. To hopefully, you know, the goal is it eventually works its way through your mind, through the filter of your mind, and is lived out in your body where you ultimately will say, you know what, I forgive you. It comes out of your mouth. But a lot of us, you know, we have our mind that keeps it from actually being lived out in our, our body. Galatians 5.17 says this, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the spirit wants. Like the spirit inside of you wants to do what, what God wants to do. The, the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting. And so the reason why there's so much struggle and tension in our relationships is because God's spirit inside of us has to pass through the filter of our minds, our will, and our emotions in order to get lived out in the body. Are you with me? Does this make sense? That's why I say this has to start with you, that you and I have to do the hard work of attacking that filter of our minds so that God's spirit can have a clear pass-through to our body to being lived out in our body. And I promise you, if you do that, if you begin that process, it will transform your relationships. But Colby is my ex-husband's fault. You don't know what he did. He left us. He walked out on us. It's my, it's my boss's fault. It's the way they, they treat me. Listen, I'm not trying to downplay anything that's happened in your life. The experiences that you've had, I'm sure if you told us your story, like, like, it would break our hearts. I believe that. But I am just saying this. As long as you allow your soul, your mind, your will and emotions to filter out what God's spirit wants to do in and through your body, you're only prolonging the dysfunction in the relationship. Like, that's all you're doing. And God's spirit wants to have this, this clear path to work through your mind, will, and emotions into your, your life. But it's our mind that it's hard to get, get past. And here's the deal. Every single one of us, jot this down, are currently living at the level of our thinking. Like in other words, your thinking is directly tied to your living, to what you're experiencing in life. And if I can help to elevate some of your thinking, I promise it will elevate your living. If I can help to change some of your, your, your perspective on, on relationships and how God's spirit wants to move through your mind, will, and emotions and get played out in your life, it will change your relationships. We live according to the way that we think in all areas of our life, by the way. Like in all of our, our thought processes, even in our, our bad thinking. For example, you didn't put that, uh, you know, if you think uh, putting a, a vacation on your credit card at 20% interest is a good idea, right, then you're going to think that that's a good idea for a long time because you're going to be paying for it, you know, for a long time. You're going to have regret. You're going to have debt. You didn't do that because, because it felt great to do that. You did that because your thinker was busted. You know what I'm saying? You did that because something was broke in your mind. 
And in our relationships, this is what I'll hear too, and I, I understand the sentiment. Uh, somebody will say, oh, you know, we're great with each other. Like, he completes me. She completes me. You've heard that before, right? They complete me. We have synergy. We have chemistry. It's amazing, right? We finish each other's sentences. Everybody thinks it's so cute. No, they don't. People want to puke when they're around you, all right? Let me just put that out there. But our thinking is busted because when we think someone else completes us, we think that if I bring half of a, a self together with another half of a self, that it makes a whole self. It doesn't. You bring your broke half of yourself and put it together with someone else's broke half of their selves, right? You just have two broken halves of people put together. It doesn't work. You don't complete each other. You work on becoming a whole you. Come on, somebody. You become a whole you, the you that God wants you to be, so that you can bring a whole you into the relationship. But the reason we don't is because of our thinking. We've got some broke thinkers. And so in order for God's spirit to move through our mind, we have to change the way that we think. We have to feed God's spirit inside of us. And if we begin to surrender our mind to the spirit of God, and we allow his, his spirit to work in through our lives, I promise you it will change all your relationships, your marriage relationships, your dating, your work, your family, if you allow God's spirit to work in and through your mind, will, and emotions and be lived out in your body. Now, some of the pushback could be, Colby, I, I've heard about those people, you know, that they're always talking about God's spirit and the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit, and they're always, they're just weird. Can I tell you something? They were weird before they met God. They're going to be weird after God, all right? God's spirit doesn't make you weird. But, but, but I will say this. His spirit will probably ask you to live contrary to the current of culture. If, if, if lacking commitment in a relationship, that's what's normal, then I do want to be weird. Anybody else want to be weird? Yeah, yeah. Like if lacking integrity, that's normal. I want to be weird. If, if, if marriage is 50% of them ending in divorce, that's what's normal in our culture, then heck yeah, let me be weird, right? If, if not giving up the ship, that's weird for our culture, then let me be weird. Come on, because God wants us to have great relationships, to not give up the ship. But again, it begins with us feeding that spirit and changing the way that we think. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to what's normal, to what all the world thinks is normal. Don't, don't just kind of flow with the, the current of culture. The, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by what? By renewing your mind, by changing the way that you, you think. So the Spirit wants to tell you to forgive, and your, your mind says, I don't want to forgive. I don't want to do that. The Spirit says you need to forgive. The Spirit says you need to make amends. The Spirit says I want to restore that in your mind. Will and emotions have a hard time letting that get lived out in your body. But you can only control you. And so you got to start there. And if you don't know who you are, then how are you going to have the best me that you bring to the we of the relationship? And God's Word says you are a spirit. You are a soul. And you are a body. You're a spirit. And that's the part that I don't know how relationships make it, really, without God's spirit driving and leading the way. Uh, a French Jesuit priest um, named Louis 
uh, something. I'm not even going to try to say that last name. But he says this. May we compare those who are led by the Spirit to a ship running at full sail before the wind. When you see a, a ship moving, it's unstoppable. A beautiful relationship, like led by the Spirit, moving at full sail is un, unstoppable. He says that's kind of what it's compared to, being led by the Spirit. Kristen and I, we used to have a ship, actually. Here's, here's a picture of my ship. That's a sweet ship. It's a 1970 Galaxy. That's right. When we first got married, we had that, we had that, that awesome ship. And that's, you know, you know how we, whenever you go on a boat ride, you only invite people into the boat, right, that you want in the boat. So invited into that boat is my, oh, it's gone. Put it back up there. Let's see that again. Or not. There it is. Is my, my sister-in-law and my, my wonderful wife. And then my father-in-law back there. Check him out. Sun's out, guns out. Dean in the house. So, like, next time you see him. But we used to take that boat down the Maumee River. Now you can take it away. Thanks. You, you take it down the Maumee River uh, in Toledo down to Navy Pier, you know, and you kind of go to dinner and you hang out. You have great conversations in a boat. You have a great time hanging out. And, again, you only take people into the boat that you want to have along with you on the journey. And I think some of the problem in our relationships is that we've invited a lot of the wrong things to travel with us in the, the boat of our minds, to go along this journey with us. And so some of the dysfunction that we have is when we entertain other things in the boat. Like, like what, Colby? Well, we can entertain a lot of different things in the boat of our minds. Some of you have entertained assumption. You've let assumption kind of hop in the boat, you've welcomed them aboard and said, hey, you can do life with me. And so we, we allow assumptions to, to hop on the boat. We allow deceit maybe to be a part of the, the journey, to be in the boat of our mind, we, uh, our mind, will, and emotions. We allow exaggerations. You know, those are going to take the trip with us. And so everything is kind of blown up and, and amplified, and they're along for the ride on the boat in our mind. Maybe mistrust. We've allowed to be welcomed on the boat of our mind, or even, or even lies, our welcome guests in the boat of our minds. And we allow all these kinds of things to occupy the boat of our mind, to come aboard and take the journey. So what happens is when the Spirit of God like, wants to have a clear pass through the, your mind, the boat of your mind, to being lived out in your body, there's no room, there's no occupancy. Because there are other things that are taking up the space. The, the capacity of the boat has already been met because you've allowed lies and mistrust and assumptions and all these other things to be entertained by your mind. They have no business being there. They have no business taking the journey with you. I want to give you three things that I think every single one of us need to always allow aboard the boat of our mind. And the first, the first is... Tooth. It's actually truth. The R is missing, but I thought that would be funny. Truth. Truth. Truth always needs to have a seat on board the boat of your mind. Truth needs to be a welcomed guest aboard the boat of your mind. In fact, John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by the truth. Sanctify means to purify it's this process of becoming more and more 
like Christ. It's getting, you know, the bad out, getting the, the good in that, that God has for us, sanctify them by the truth. And then he tells us how, he says, your word, your word is the truth. That's how we do it. So God's word should always have a place in the boat of your mind. God's word should always be a welcome guest. I'll say it this way. I think the voice of God should be the loudest voice in the voice in the, in the boat of your mind. Like it should be the loudest one speaking into your life, loudest one going along the journey with you because here's what happens is that you've allowed lies and mistrust and exaggeration and deceit and all these other things to, to occupy the boat and you begin to manufacture things in your mind about people that aren't even true about relationships that you have, like, like they didn't call me back when I called them, so they must, they must not like me, they must be mad at me. You start to make up these lies. You've allowed them to enter into the boat of your mind. Or, or they didn't text me back, so maybe they're trying to, to pull away. It, it's a lie. Like who told you that? You've just welcomed them aboard the boat of your mind. Or, or you could say things like, you know what, I'm never gonna have the marriage that I dreamed of because of my dis- divorce. Who told you that? That's a lie that you've welcomed into the boat of your mind, that you've welcomed as a guest in your journey. I'm used goods. I'm not going to be good enough. Nobody's ever going to want me. They always leave me. Who told you that? Who are you allowing to get on the boat of your mind? See, for some of you in this series, you need to decide that, hey, exaggeration, lies, mistrust, deceit, you don't have a place on the boat of my mind anymore. In fact, I'm going to put you in a tube behind the boat. I'm going to whip you around. You know how we do tubing? And when you fall off, I'm going to leave you in the water, sucker. Or you know what I'm saying? Like you're just going to leave them there. And you need to decide that, that truth is going to be the captain of the boat in your mind. That truth is going to navigate you to the waters that, that he wants to lead you. That's God's word Truth always needs to be welcomed in the boat of your mind. In fact, Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to divide and get this, soul and spirit. Soul and spirit. In other words, if you let him, God will come into your life and say, uh-uh, that's lies. That's your soul. That's your mind. That, that truth, that's spirit right? That's lies. That's your mind. That's your will and emotions. That's God. If you allow him, it'll be like a scalpel and he'll into your life divide God's spirit, right, from your lies, from your bad thinking, from your will, from your emotions. If you let him get in there, not only should we entertain truth, here's another one. We always need to entertain honor. Honor needs to be a welcome guest, aboard the boat of your mind. And I think this is one that, that we have lost sight of, how we honor people, how we honor relationships, how we honor one another. Romans 12.10 says this, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. You know what the word honor means? It means to esteem. It means to, uh, the Old Testament word is kabod. It means like to give weight to. It's, it's worthy. It has, has weight. It means to anticipate. Like how would your relationships change if you decided you were going to welcome honor aboard the boat of your mind? That honor would always have a seat on the, the boat of your mind. Do you think it would change your friendships? If your friends knew that even when they weren't with you, that you never had anything negative to say about them? Like, I think it would change your relationships. 
Like, you think it would change your friendships if you have a friend that was up all night studying for an exam, maybe your first year or second year at LECOM, and you got a big exam that you got to take, you know, to, to move on, and you were up all night, and your friend got up early the next morning, went to Starbucks, got you your favorite drink with lots of shots of espresso in it, right, because you were up all night, knocked on your door and said, hey, here you go, you're going to kill it today. Do you think that that would change your friendships? You think showing honor in that would make a difference? I think it would. What about showing honor in your workplace? Maybe the people that you work with, the people that maybe your boss. Here's a crazy idea. What if you did the report ahead of time, you know, because you anticipated that the boss would need it before he even asked for it? Like, that's honor. You know, Colby, I don't want to be the office suck-up. Really? Really following Romans 12.10 is being a suck-up? See, I just, think, I just think it's godly living, taking delight in honoring and honoring others. Let me ask you this question. How would it change your marriage if you decided you were going to honor each other? That if you were with her or without her, that she never thought or he never thought there would be any infidelity, if there's never any insecurity in that relationship, that they always knew you would always talk highly about one another, do you think that would change the marriage relationship? That you would honor each other? I'm not saying you don't have people in your life. You don't share your struggles with and your challenges with. I am saying that's not everybody. That's definitely not Facebook. Jesus, help us, right? But it would change your marriage. You think anticipating, guys, when she came home that, you know, there were some things that she was going to have to do around the house or or with the kids, and you went ahead and you, you did her routine for her. Do you think that that would show her honor? Do you think that maybe it would change what happens later on that night? Come on, I do. I think so. That's honor. It's anticipating. It's esteem. Honor, honor. Here's the last thing. Here's the last thing. We always are to welcome love. Like every time. And love needs to be a, a welcome guest aboard the boat of your mind. Mark says it this way. Love God with all your passion with all your prayer, with all your intelligence, with all your energy, that's, that's mind, that's spirit, that's body, like everything that you have, passion, prayer, intelligence, energy. And here's the second, love others as well, as well as you love yourself. And he says there is no commandment that is as great as this one. But, but, but Colby, you know, I, I, I pray every day. I do my devotionals. I, I read God's word every day. Yeah, but God's word also says that without love, guess what? You're just making noise. You're just a, a resounding gong. You're just a clanging cymbal. Like it doesn't mean anything unless you love them. Love should always be a welcome guest aboard the boat of your mind. And I love that verse. What I love about it is that it's not just um, principle. It's also process. The principle is love God and love others, right? Like we know that, we've heard that before. But the process is love God first and then love others. And I think that sometimes in order for us to love others the way that we are supposed to love them and protect the relationships and stand for them 
and not give up the ship and fight for it because it's worth fighting for, it's worth dying for, it's worth laying our lives down for. We can't do that unless we first learn to love God first. It's process, love God first, and then we love others. You gotta love God first, because how many of you know there's some people in your life that are hard to love? But here's what I'm learning is that as I have a greater picture of God's love for me and how he loves me, like I'm overwhelmed with how much he loves me, despite my faults. I'm overwhelmed how much he loves me um, in my inconsistencies. He is always consistent. That even when I reject him, that he never rejects me. And the better I understand God's love for me, like the, the better I'm able to love others, the better I'm able to have patience with others because God's been so patient with me, the better I'm able to love others in their inconsistencies and in their failures because we'll fail each other. But the more I get a revelation of how much he loves me, just as I am, by the way. I love the, the second part of that verse says, love others as well as you love yourself. As well as, here's the problem. I think for some of us in this room today, the reason it's difficult to love others is because you haven't yet learned to love yourself. And you need to know that God loves you just as you are, that he, he formed you, he formed you on purpose with a purpose. He loves you too much for you to stay there. He wants to do something amazing in your life that, that when you understand that, he loves you for who you are. And he wants to take you to even greater places to elevate your thinking, for God's spirit to be lived out in and through your life into your body. I promise you, I promise you, if you get that, it will change your relationships. You can only control you. You gotta start with you. Draw that circle of control around you, not anyone else. Start with you. And then you make sure you welcome aboard the boat of your mind, truth, honor, love, that they always need to be welcome guests. That other stuff, hey, in Jesus' name has got to go. Because it's not hurting, it's not helping the relationship, it's hurting it. In fact, here's what I want you to do. If you bow your head, close your eyes. I have two questions for you. So I don't want you to shuffle around. I don't want you to get ready to go. Two questions. Here's the first one. What is God saying to you? I just happen to believe that no matter what's spoken up here or sung up here, that if you ask him, God will speak to you about an area of your life, about something that he wants to convict you in or challenge you in. Not condemnation, that's the enemy's job. He likes to bring condemnation. God doesn't do that. He brings conviction, leading us to change. Where is it that, that your mind has been a, a barrier to God's spirit being lived out in your body. So ask God, God, what are you saying to me? That's the first question. Here's the second question. So what are you gonna do about it? Please don't leave here and be convicted by God's spirit of changing something in your heart and in your life and not do anything about it. What are you gonna do about it? With every head bowed, every eye closed, maybe some of you today You've never had the Spirit come alive in your life. 
And the reason why he hasn't come alive in your life is because you've never accepted Jesus as Lord. And the Bible tells us that when we do that, his spirit is made new in us. He comes alive, that the old is gone, the the new has come, and he wants to lead us into the, the fullness of Christ, into a full life that he has planned for us. But that doesn't happen unless we allow Jesus to pay for our sins and allow his spirit to come alive in us. And maybe some of you have never made that decision. And that's why you're here today. It's because you've never let Jesus pay for your sins so that the the spirit side of you, that part that will live forever, one day somewhere, depending on what you do with Jesus, come alive in your life. And the way we have him come alive is by surrendering our life to Jesus is by believing that God sent him to pay an awful price for our sin. And when we confess our sin and we believe he is Lord of our life and we believe God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And our spirit man will come alive inside of us. If that's you today, I want to lead you in a prayer that receives Jesus as Lord and Savior. Not that leads you into religion, but into a relationship with God. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you'd say, Colby, when you pray that prayer, I'm praying it with you today. Would you right now throw your hand up, be bold about it. Just come on, raise it high and be proud and say, God, here I am. I want your spirit to come alive inside of me. I want Jesus to to pay for my sins. I'll receive that payment. Awesome, awesome. So many of you, you put your hands down. Say something like this. I just want to help you with language. You can use your own words. Jesus, today, I surrender my life to you. I ask that that spirit come alive inside my heart, that it would begin to transform my mind so it would be lived out in my body. Jesus, I repent from my sin. I confess you as Lord and Savior, and I believe that God raised you from the dead. So right here, I'm being raised and restored to a new life in Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com forward slash yes. There will be some practical resources that will help you as you start this awesome journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to see people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, you can do so by going to elevatechurch.com forward slash give.